I'm Imogen Ray Smith. I'm David Bank. I'm Brian Walsh. And this is Returns on Investment, a show about impact investing. On today's show, we're going to talk about shareholder primacy versus stakeholder capitalism. What exactly is the purpose of a corporation? By now, dear listeners, you've heard about the recent statement put up by the Business Roundtable, a lobbying group for big corporations, in which nearly 200 leading CEOs effectively renounced the idea that companies should only focus on maximizing shareholder value to instead embrace a fundamental commitment to all of their stakeholders, including customers, employees, suppliers, local communities, as well as generating long-term value for shareholders. That statement could come out of any number of recent impact investing white papers. Imogen, what happened to shareholders? Why has stakeholder become the buzzword of the moment? Excellent question. Um, So I think it's important to take the step back and say, well, why were shareholders considered so important, right? So, you know, the economist Milton Friedman famously said sort of 50 years ago that the business of a corporation was to produce value for shareholders and that anything else was socialism. And that sort of particularly American corporations sort of took that ball and took that notion and ran with it. And for a very long time, it was commonly perceived that maximizing shareholder value was the best and, you know, the only thing for corporations to do. And this has for a long time been seen as a rebuttal to the cause of impact investors, you know, ESG investors and others for corporations to care about things such as, you know, climate change or employee welfare, gender diversity, so on and so forth. But what is interesting is that what has become clear is that in actual fact, maximizing shareholder returns isn't good for business, it isn't good for the economy, and it isn't good for long-term investors in many cases. So you can think about, you know, an extreme example would be something like, you know, a company like Enron, which you know was considered that the darling of the capital markets was, you know, doing everything to maximize returns. Um, or sorry, maximize shareholder value, and obviously behind the scenes was doing terrible stuff and ended up in bankruptcy. Um, but there's also there's a lot of interesting work being done out of areas such as Oxford University on how companies that sort of take this shareholder primacy mentality in fact perform more poorly over time. So instead, what you've seen in the last you know, 10, 15 years is this increased embrace of this notion of stakeholders, which says, okay, shareholders aren't the only people at this party, right? That there are other participants involved in the success and the responsibility of corporations, and we need to take all of these into consideration. So those would be things such as workers. They would be things such as the community. Um, And they would be things such as suppliers. And again, this has been, you know, a long, a long running part of the ESG and the sustainable investment and the impact conversation. And you've seen and and it's again, this is true in other economies like Germany, the way that German corporations are set up has a much greater focus on stakeholders, as does, you know, you've seen a huge stakeholder movement in the UK, you've seen a significant stakeholder movement and a change in corporate governance in Japan. So this idea is gaining greater cachet it also tends to be popular as i say with people who think that corporations have 
more of a responsibility than just making money. That they are responsible for things like their impact, their their sort of global footprint, their license to do business, their their record on human rights. So what's what is interesting here now is that you are seeing, and again, this didn't just happen, you know, in the last month. You've been seeing this pressure building from various investors, you know, the the Black Rocks of this world, for example, you know, and various advisors, the McKinsey's of this world, and from various asset owners, the sorry, various corporations themselves, to embrace this sort of more holistic approach to capitalism. So this recent statement, you know, is is in some ways just but the clearest manifestation of that. So David, is this statement a lagging or a leading indicator? What's the signal we should take from this? It's 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 a lagging indicator. We've said in Impact Alpha because, as Imogen pointed out, you know the the train has sort of left the station, right? So no corporation could actually kind of argue the old shareholder primacy thing, although they still act that way. I will I will say, but the rhetoric had already moved well beyond them. So in a sense, they had to catch up with where, and it's not just other stakeholders. It's actually where other shareholders are at, as Imogen was saying. It's big big asset owners um, uh, are starting. You know. One we always watch is the um, government pension insurance fund in in, in Japan um, are, are starting to, to to press their asset managers, the folks like BlackRock and State Street and Goldman Sachs, and then those folks then press the, the companies and say, look, you got to have a purpose. BlackRock's uh, Larry Fink is famous for telling companies they had to have a purpose. So that all that, as Imogen said, has already left the station. So this is sort of the capper, if you will. Or the marker, or the you know the, I don't know the award ceremony or something that that old idea has now outlived its usefulness and the new idea is here now. You know, ha- making it real. I think that's where we're at now. That's what that's what I think. You know, we could talk about and have some interesting um, discussion. How to make the, how to make this really as you know e- 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 epical a, 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 a moment as as it, as it could be. Right. Well, I think that this also could be seen as just another chapter in the ongoing struggle between management of a corporation and shareholders of a corporation as the. Well, that's yeah, yeah no, you're that's a good analysis because the um, the subtext may well be that it was, in fact, shareholder pressure that they made them want to embrace other stakeholders. They may like other stakeholders better because the shareholders were saying, uh, you know, account for your climate risk. There were some some famous votes back in 2017 at ExxonMobil and Occidental that where the share where a majority of the shareholders voted to press management on climate change. That had never happened. Those These things had been sort of symbolic protests in the past. Now BlackRock and others flipped sides and pressed management to account for climate risk. And then these companies have been pushing back ever since and trying to even like get the resolution itself, you know, stricken from the ballot so nobody would even be able to vote on it. So there's a definite battle going on about between the, the sustainable uh, wing, so let's say, of the, of the asset owner world and some of these co- companies. So picking picking up on the struggle between management and shareholders, uh, Bloomberg's uh, Matt Levine pointed out that uh, in the U.S., most corporate governance debates are about whether shareholders or managers should have more power to control the corporation. And so now these managers, these CEOs are coming out and saying that there are these other stakeholders 
Uh, and and you know he's making the case that maybe these other stakeholders that are introducing, like suppliers and community members and employees and the like, uh, are mostly tools in this broader shareholder-manager fight, not power centers in themselves. And so it just might be that these CEOs have decided that employees in the environment um, are getting a raw deal, uh, but it also uh, could is very likely that the CEOs have thought of over and decided that shareholders are annoying and that they want to be able to kind of muck it up. It's not like all of these companies were like listening with open ears to their shareholders in the first place, right? So you know. no, but no, but but you guys, you guys, <laughs> the, the shareholders they're also guarding themselves against are the ones that are, um, you know, pressing for you know even more cost cutting, including you know cuts in executive compensation. So, um, but also ones that are that are that are pressing for you know. Um, uh, uh, buyouts and, and, and dividends and, and whatnot, and, and using all the corporate cash for shareholders as opposed to investing in the growth of the business. So these managers are pushing back in, on on all kinds of shareholders. Right, and and that's where I, that's where I think is is gonna this is gonna come out is uh, in. In a Delaware courtroom, in a litigation, in a couple of years from now, a, a Delaware chancellor, which is what they call judges there, uh, is going to preside over some uh, case where some shareholder sued some company uh, about some action they took, and it's going to they're going to say point to this statement as saying, "See, uh, case law supports the view of the shareholder primacy, and now these companies uh, have come out and taken this action that we don't agree with, and it's going to be kind of decided in uh, in the courts, and it's going to become part." of this case law. And so I, I just worry that that this is good PR for right now for, for these CEOs of these companies to kind of try to drive the narrative. Uh, but uh, without real actionable uh, measurements and accountabilities, it's, it's going to be very messy to see uh, how do these different competing interests uh, get, get parceled out over time. Well, I think you're. I think you're absolutely right, Brian. That it will be a very, you know, sort of hand-to-hand combat at every stage, and 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 that none of the particular battles are, um, you know, foregone conclusions in any way. But I will say that if you want to just take it more at a like a long-term strategic idea, that you have to say that companies at least felt that they had to rush to kind of this more. Uh, broadly distributed prosperity. They even said, you didn't mention this in the intro, they even said we're committing to sustainable environmental practices across all of our operations. That, you know, take that for what it's worth, but it's, uh, 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 that would not have been said by these these corporations, yeah. you know, even, yeah, even David, five I'm going to take ago. it for what it's worth. I'm going to take it for what it's worth. I'm saying, it's words I'm saying, on a paper. I'm saying, it's I'm, non-legally binding words on a paper in a press I, release. I'm saying at a, mo- at a, at a historical uh, restructuring of power level, the other side blinked, and that we now have their own words to hold them to, not just somebody else's words. And so, as you said, there may be it may get decided in Delaware court, and you know, one case may go one way, another case may go another way. That's exactly why these guys have not said this in the past, by the way, for exactly that liability reason. But now they've said yeah, it. Many, many said. general counsels uh, uh, argued against their absolutely, CEOs signing absolutely. these letters. Absolutely. I'm saying, therefore, the fact that they did it anyway, despite the fact that they hadn't wanted to do it for 20 years, and despite the fact that their lawyers told them not to do it, means they're feeling some heat. So take that for what it's worth. That heat is what we need to turn up. Yeah. So is this is this 300-word statement uh, about the purpose of the corporation, or is it a full employment for securities uh, litigators 
oh, that's that's a narrow that's a narrow way to look at it. The broader way to look at it, I think, is that we now have a toehold to enforce all kinds of things. I mean, um, the, 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 the interesting part of it is what is the accountability for those other stakeholders? How do you know whether workers are doing better, communities are doing better, the environment is doing better? Um, and they're, in fact, impact investors are the ones who've perfected those measurement techniques over the years. That's why there's been this maniacal obsession with measurement in the impact investing world. Now, all of those things are going to come to the fore and be needed, frankly, by everybody else who's going to now be able to start judging companies on this basis. They committed to it by after all. Now we're just seeing whether they're living up to their own words. I mean, it's a much easier argument than than trying to hold them to somebody else. I'm sorry, Imogen, I'm going to need you to uh, help me parse this out because David just said something uh, that I think that you might take issue with. He said that impact investors have perfected yes, the I... measurement tools. <laughs> I think we can we can <laughs> reductio ad absurdum have roughly approximated the measurement, the measurement tools. tools. They have engaged in, in many multiple processes to develop some frameworks for measurement tools. <laughs> they are preparing to plan to have, announce a, an initiative to, to finalize those. I think tools. I saw yes. a working group about that. Um, yes. Okay. Mock it if you may. They, they've done more on that than than the the rest of the capital market. So I'm saying that that skill set will be. Well, Imogen, I think this gets, but I think this gets to a broader point too, right? So I think we can posit a few things. Okay, one posit is that companies are where the action is today. That's where they are the primary drivers in our society, more so uh, than in other areas. It might have been the state or the church or something else. Uh, they are the the big drivers, and and companies. Uh, are the main innovators, they're the main producers of goods and services, they're the main uh, job creators, all those kind of things, right? And there's a lot of good that comes out of companies and there's a lot of bad that comes out of companies. And so it's just trying to say who is responsible for minimizing the bad, the negative externalities, and maximizing the the good, the, the positive externalities of these companies. Is it is it up to the government to put in place regulations? Is it up to investors to try to engage management to, to make sure that these companies are oriented around optimizing for impact? Is it up to employees to kind of vote with their feet with and put pressure on companies? Is it up to customers to put pressure on companies? Or is it up to managers themselves? And so this statement essentially is saying is there a that the managers- G, all of the above? Well, right, but, but who is best positioned to where the rubber hits the road here. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with you that, that what this statement is saying is management is best positioned, or I think a, an obvious way to interpret it, this is to see it as saying, and look, look what this industry group is, as management saying, we are best positioned to identify who, like how do we, be most successful and who are the most important you know, stakeholders for our company. And so I think it is a, a pushback um, against this pressure that has been felt by companies on the part of investors um, to do what they see as being their best actions, be that as you know, David mentioned, to pay their executives less or to pay out you know, cash that they have to shareholders or to you know, separate their CEO and court chairman roles, or to to disclose no no one's done that, and that's I mean that's a that's a thing that's a huge point right like if these if these corporations are not capable or willing to do what shareholder asks, shareholders ask on what are really basic corporate governance you know one hundred ones, then like what what do we expect them to do and is it you know it's not it 
it's not a surprise to see that. I mean, again, like a lot, a lot of these corporations, the shareholders don't necessarily have equal votes with management, right? So the this idea that 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 somehow, you know, they the shareholders are getting are having too loud a voice or getting too sort of bigger piece of the pie isn't necessarily true, even though, as I was saying earlier, I think this idea of primarily driving for shareholders to, to short and medium shareholder results but, is incredibly dangerous. Um, well, just just to be just to be just to be clear, the shareholder primacy era now past, we said, um, is was also underpinning what uh, came to be known as fiduciary responsibility, or we, we came the what how fiduciary responsibility came to be understood, because uh, if the investment managers also didn't pursue that shareholder primacy, then they were at risk. So the cascade of of change here could be quite that's my- quite significant. If now we are understanding fiduciary responsibility also includes long-term stewardship, also includes communities, also includes workers, customers, and the environment. So that's why I'm saying let's take this as a signal that that ship has now sailed, that those uh, forward-thinking investment uh, asset owners, investment managers, and corporations are now you know, uh, the, 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 the tide of history and that everybody else is some kind of legacy installed base that has to be, you know, that has to be dealt with, obviously, for many, many years. But, is basically but, but David, I think that you're, the I think the challenge here, though, is that it's in the in the era of shareholder primacy, OK, that you, you say is now over. And I think that remains to be seen. But in that era, there was still a lot of conflict between uh, the, how do you measure the effectiveness of how managers were running their companies on behalf of shareholders? Uh, are they measuring it? Are they managing it for optimizing for short-term quarterly returns, or are they uh, measuring and managing it for uh, long-term value creation? And there's a lot of debates and trade-offs there. Right. And now so it's getting even saying. more now- complicated because it's not just saying uh, how do we optimize for shareholders, but we're also now trying to uh, kind of optimize for the benefit of competing stakeholders. And I think that's where it gets more. Or no, it's adding. No, 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 no. Competing stakeholders, competing stakeholders is, is is where you're wrong. It's not about divvying up the pie in some new way. That that would be a very bad way to frame this. In fact, I think that's probably maybe what the what everybody wants it to be is some kind of battle between shareholders and and everybody else. The obvious play here is to say that uh, this long term integrated sustainable view, adding value both socially and 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 environmentally and 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 and, and, and economically that that's a, a, a unified whole for, for all good corporations and that those things don't have to be in conflict. You know, yes, there will be, you know, immediate conflicts in, you know, asset allocations on, you know, all kinds of, of decisions. But if everybody is moving towards the same, you know, similar objectives of, of maximizing long-term value, you know, at least the direction of flow is, is in a different direction. So I think that's what we have to claim this to be and then make it so. But I think, I, I, I think you're too willing and eager to declare victory here. I think it's true that there has been, it's it's not like none of these corporations have ever talked about these issues before or ever made positive statements on these issues before, right? Like, but I do think it's true that, you know, again, there was a lot of corporations that pushed back against the ERISA fiduciary guidance around shareholder engagement like a decade ago, right? So where they very much did not want shareholders voting on stuff like climate change. Um, And so I think we have seen 
a sentiment shift towards recognizing that corporations, you know, need to care about things like, you know, diversity and pay, gender pay and stuff like that, right? But I don't think that a bunch of corporations standing up and saying, hey, yes, we care, is is the victory that you think it is. I don't, I, I don't think it's necessarily, oh my God, we must just see this as being terrible greenwashing. But I don't, at, at best, I think it's, it's accepting that there has been a shift in the discourse. Um, but I agree with that. I agree with that. But, but I would say just understand how significant that agreement that there's been a shift in the discourse is. Well, here, here's a signal that I want to uh, point out. Gina Rometty, the, the CEO of IBM, was a leader of, of this effort at the Business Roundtable. And she was on the cover of Fortune magazine this week and with, with, with um, Jamie Dimon of, of J.P. Morgan and whatnot. She was also a leader, it, um, if you recall, uh, several years ago when all virtually all of the President Trump's corporate advisory groups resigned effectively en masse after the Charlottesville um, incidents of that year. And she was the condemn and disband leader and, and several others of the same group, the same type of CEO, you know, folks who had been, had been enlisted into the administration, you know, argued to, you know, condemn and, and remain. And, and, and she led pe- people out. And we wrote at the time, you know, is that just a, a momentary spasm and then, and then goes off or will corporate leaders actually start to assert some, needed counterweight leadership. And I think that at least some of them have decided that they do need to do that. So I think that you have to put it in that context. This this is a kind of going to be a pro-climate action corporate group. This is going to be a, you know, ExxonMobil aside, maybe we sweep them along as well. You know, this has got to become a pro- share the wealth, address income inequality corporate leadership group. This is not you know, this is a pro-sustainable development goals leadership group. Don't take it for granted that you've got 200 corporations now at least tilting in that direction. They could have gone the other way. But I don't they th- could have gone the other way. I don't way. think signing a piece of... No, they couldn't have. It certainly shouldn't, right? Like, we need our politicians to stand up and be politicians. We need our CEOs to be no, CEOs. The president we, is the president is pressuring like, auto companies to renounce California's emission standards, and those CEOs will have to decide. So yes, sure. And I don't think, but and you know, Tim Cook was just meeting with the president the other day. Like, clearly, CEOs play a role in government. That should be a better regulator than type of anything else. I don't think signing this piece of paper, like. Honeywell is signing this piece of paper. Like I don't see think signing this means what you. I think don't it think means. it means any. I don't think it means anything other than as an indicator of the strength of the of the movement to to to, to shift the direction of 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 of, of, of corporate and, and global finance. And if since that since they did it, it makes means makes us let's let's acknowledge that our movement is actually stronger than we thought and let's claim that victory and press forward. Not that it's the final victory, but that it's a it's a tactical a tactical win and let's go from win to win. Well I think that's a great place to to leave it. Thank you, Imogen. Thank you. And thank you, David. Thank you both as always. Special thanks to our technical producer, Isaac Silk. Thanks, Isaac. This podcast has been a production of Impact Alpha, providing news and insights for those working to build an inclusive and prosperous future. Find us at impactalpha.com and on Twitter at Impact Alpha. 
From New York, I'm Brian Walsh, head of impact at the fintech company Liquinet. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you in some sense of the word next time.